when we talk about the basics of Christianity, there's no way that we can handle it in a month. There is so much. But what we're going to give you is just some fundamental truths and, and just to try and help you. You know, I've realized this. A lot of people don't know the basics of the Bible. They don't know the basics of God. And it's because they haven't been taught that. Or for, perhaps for some of you, you're new to church. This is all new. And that's great. And we're excited that we can learn together because there's always more that we can learn in God. If you ever get to that place where you think you know it all, when you get there, you're going to realize how little you really do know. Because there is so much of God. God is inexhaustible. What does that mean? He doesn't run out. So every day you can know more about him. How do I know that? Because the Bible says new every day is his mercies, his love, his grace towards us. So that means every day we can learn something new about God. In other words, God's not boring. God's alive. God's vibrant and he's something that wants to be a part of your life. And I think going back to the, the beginning is great for each one of us because we need to know this stuff. I want to start with a parable actually that Jesus taught. Jesus taught parables when he was here on this earth. A parable was a heavenly story with, or an earthly story, rather, sorry, with a heavenly meaning. It was a figurative story. He used illustrations at times so people could understand the things of this world, but yet signifying something spiritual, something out of this world. And in one of these stories, he calls the parable of the sower. Jesus looks at four different types of soil. So if you would, read with me. If you've got your Bibles, if not, you can follow along on the screen. Thank you to Tammy and Dustin and those who do my words every week. They do a phenomenal job with that, and I just really appreciate them and don't say that enough. So Tammy, thank you very much. We love you. And Dustin for being her sidekick too. Thank you for that. They do an, don't they do an awesome job? Come on, let's give it up for them. Fantastic. Fantastic. And um, I, I mean, you better do a better job than that or she's not going to turn the slides. I said, don't they do a fantastic job? There you go. They were going to leave you hanging this week and say, huh, if you think that's only how good we do, we'll show you how bad we can really be. But the parables of the sower, chapter 13 and verse 3 begins, Then Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came, and they devoured them. Some seed fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. 
But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7, and some fell amongst the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. And Jesus closes with these words of the story, and he says, He who has ears, let him hear, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. The parable of the sower explained is pretty simple. We see three separate parts here. The first we see is the sower, the one who goes out and throws out the seed. The sower is God. It symbolizes God himself. The second part is the seed that he throws out. The seed is the word of God, the the truth of God, that which is spoken, the Bible, the instructions of God, that which is given and thrown out to everyone. And then the last part of the parable that we see is the soil. The different types of ground. And that is meant to symbolize the heart of humanity. How is our heart? What state is the heart? God is sowing the seed. Everyone has the same opportunity. But we see there is not the same results dependent upon The heart, the heart of man, thus symbolized in four different types of soil, the state of one's heart. Jesus said, first, there's the wayside. Second, there's the stony ground. Third, there is the thorny ground. And then the last one is the good soil. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be some good soil. For God's word to grow in my life and to build in my life. But today I want to focus in on the first type of the soil, if I may, the wayside. The wayside. And I know you may be saying, but Pastor Philip, I thought you were talking about back to the basics. We are. Just stay with me because I want to show you something from these two verses or three verses that I'm going to read in a moment. The importance of knowing the basics of Christianity. Look again, if you would, at verse 4 again. Jesus says, and as he, God, sowed, gave out the seed, the word of God, the Bible says some seed fell by the wayside. The wayside was like a path that they would leave or a roadway through the field. Back in those times, what people would do is they would leave an area of their field where people could walk. They didn't have road structures like we do now. So what they would do is they would leave an area on the sides of the fields where people could walk. So you can imagine the ground was highly traveled, horses and carts and donkeys and people would be on that. So it would be hard, trampled down ground. And the Bible says that when that seed hit that hard ground, that the birds came and devoured the seed, ate up the seed. Well, later on, the disciples, they turned and looked at Jesus and they said, you know what, Jesus, we understand what you're trying to say, we think, but maybe we don't. Can you explain to us what you mean by the parable of the sower? So Jesus pulls them to him and he says, let me explain it to you. And can I give you 
the explanation of the wayside that Jesus gives his disciples. Look, Matthew 13, 18 and 19. Jesus says, therefore here, this is what I'm trying to say is what Jesus is saying. This is the message that I want you to hear. He says, when anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it. Let me say that one more time. Does not understand it. Then the wicked one, or Satan, one translation says, it's the same person. He comes and snatches away, steals away, takes what? What was sown into the heart of those who have received. And Jesus says, this is he who receives on the wayside. So the gospel message is preached. People are excited about it. They take it. They apply it to their life, but Satan comes and his goal is to steal, kill and destroy. He comes to take that seed and the Bible says, because of lack of, not how much tithes you pay, not how many times you come to church, not how long you've been saved, but because of lack of understanding, failure to really know the truth of God's Word. We've got a lot of Christians today that just don't understand what they need to understand. We're uneducated. As a, as a religion, um, and I hate to label Christianity almost as a religion because it's a relationship. But as a religion, if you want to put it that way, I believe Christians are the most uneducated in what we believe than any other religion of this world. If you want a proof of that, you just invite some of those little boys that are riding their bicycles around your neighborhood and invite them into your house, 18, 19 years of age, and they can talk you under the table when it comes to the Word of God at that age. Why? Because they've been indoctrinated with it. But yet we've got that tendency of, well, we we know it, we've got it right, and oh, God lives in me and I'm going to heaven, and we kind of just stop there. I think it's good that we get back to the basics. I think it's good that we realize that if we don't have an understanding, we better watch because Satan, like a roaring lion, is still seeking whom he may devour. He's still trying to come in and steal from us. So due to the lack of understanding, Satan is able to come so many times. Who's the biggest enemy that you have in your life? Satan. And he wants to come in. And that's why you and I need to understand who we are in Christ. Come on now. We need to understand who we are. So when he comes in with all the lies and the accusations, we can stand up, not perfect, because we all make mistakes and have failed God. And he may even be right for what he says sometimes. Has Satan ever told you the truth of your life? Yeah, because we are wretched and miserable and we are sinners. And why should God love us? Because of what we've done. Anyone like me in the house or am I the only one? He tells the truth sometimes. But the reality is the reason why God can love me is because he made a choice to love me. He died for me. When he died, I was on his mind. There was a song that they used to sing years ago. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Some people say, that's kind of arrogant. No, it's not. That's the love of Jesus. And you and I need to understand that. We need to understand his unconditional love for us. I love what Jerry Hunt said. And and you've got to get that message from Sunday of our church anniversary. How he talked about asking questions of why am I in the boat? How many remembers that message? 
that they were in the boat, there was a storm that came, and he said, there's some questions you ask yourself first. Why am I in the boat? You can be in the boat because of someone else. But he also said this, you can be in the boat because of your own stupidity or your own problems, your own sin. Do I have a witness in the house? But you know what he said? No matter how you got in the boat, Jesus is still there. That's unconditional love. He doesn't bail when we bail. He doesn't walk out on us when he perhaps has every right to. But he made a choice to love us. And you and I need to understand that love. Greater love has no man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. You're a friend of God. And you need to understand that. And you need to know that. And as you begin to understand that, it's going to produce something in each one of your lives. As we know key facts, as we know truths of God's Word. And that's why today, you know where we're going to begin? Who is God? We're going to look at today, who is God? And we're going to go through a list of things from God's Word that shows us what God is. But I want to remind you today that God is not just limited to those things that we say because what God is to me may be different to you. But He is all that and so much more. I want you to have an understanding of the God that you serve today. I want you to see His awesomeness. I want you to see His great. I want you to see His might and splendor. Why? Because when troubles and tribulations come, you'll be reminded of how big and awesome and great your God is. You need to know the greatness of God. And we're going to start at the very beginning today. Can we do that? Genesis 1, verse 1. Genesis 1, verse 1 says these words. I'm just going to read the first four words that says this. In the beginning, God. Say that with me. In the beginning, God. And we've got to stop there because we need to have an understanding of God. There's many misconceptions today of God. And unfortunately, many have come through our words and our actions because we're supposed to be representing God as children of God. We should represent God. And therefore, because of misrepresentation, because of our bad attitude, because of our lack of understanding, just because of us, a lot of people have looked and said, if that's what God is all about, guess what? I don't want none of that. It's amazing to me how many people think that God is just this tyrant up in heaven, just waiting for us to step one millimeter out of line, that he can send lightning bolts from heaven, that he can consume us, that he can destroy us. There's another image of God, misconception of God, that he's just this egotistical monster that wants to demand praise, that everyone should praise him. He's so full of pride. It's all about him. There's another misrepresentation of God that if he really loved us, why all this suffering? Come on, we could go on and on and on about the misrepresentations and the misconcepts that we have of God. And it's because we don't understand or fully know who He is. But listen to me today. In order for us to know who God is, and in order for us to be able to receive His Word from Genesis all the way through Revelation, and it's still been spoken out through every one of our lives, we have first got to comprehend and receive the first four words of the Bible. 
In the beginning, God. You cannot go beyond unless you first accept the fact that God has always been and God will always be. Come on, God always was, He always is, and He always may be. You see, the problem is we try to figure that out with our finite mind. Notice I said finite, not infinite. Finite mind means a mind of limits or restrictions. You and I, as smart as we may think we are, we have limits to our mind. When I read about one day we're going to go and be with heaven and we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and never die, my mind can't get around that. I just have to say, man, that's going to be a long time and just leave it there. Because if I'm trying to figure it out, I just can't. But you see, that's the problem is we cannot understand God. And this may sound crazy. You can't understand God through your mind. It has to be by faith. The Bible says it's by faith that you're saved. It's by believing the fact that God always was, always is and always will be. And that's so important for us. Look what Revelations 1 verse 8 tells us. God says this of himself. He says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end, says the Lord, who is present right now, who was, always has been, past tense, and who is to come, future. He says, I was, I am, and I will be. And you know how I was and will be? I'm almighty. I'm an almighty God. Come on, you've got to be honest today. It takes faith to believe the fact that God has always been there. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. You know, I've heard questions so many times. You know, where'd God come from? Who created God? I mean, how could he always be? I mean, someone had to create God. I mean, come on. I mean, he had to. I mean, when did he start? When did he have all these things? You know, you know I, I must be honest with you. I don't struggle with that question. And here's why I don't struggle with that question. You know what? I don't care how he came into being or what happened. All I am glad about that he came into being. And I know the effect that he's had on my life since I've received him. The knowledge of what he's done for me. It's like Philip Cameron said, if you can prove to me that Christianity is a lie, that God doesn't exist and all these things and you can prove it to me for fact, he says, I would still choose to live the way I do. Why? Because my life has been drastically changed since I made the change. And if God isn't true, then hey, just leave me alone because the life that... Has, has anyone a witness in here that your life has been drastically changed as God came? You see, I don't struggle, therefore, with where did he come from? I'm just glad he was there. And because he lives, the Bible says, I can live, we can live also. So, you know, there's those that say, well, where did God come from? But you know what? The same ones that answer. The question where God came from have no problem believing in something like the Big Bang Theory. And my question is, well, where did the dirt come from? Where did that matter? Where did that piece of dirt or whatever it was that miraculously came together and exploded? I mean, where did that come from? I mean, who created that? Well, someone had to create dirt in order for there to be dirt. So why? I mean, it's a lot harder. Listen to me. It's a lot harder to have faith in things like that than it is to have faith in God. 
But you know why people turn to those things? You can read it for yourself. I think it's 2 Corinthians 4. It talks about the God of this world has blinded their minds. It's like put a veil over the minds of mankind that it's easier to understand those things. When Mike French, Mike French is an incredible guy, very intelligent, and he searched for years, read so many books to discover if there really was a God. And you know what really spoke to him one day? He'd read all these books and all these debates, but it just hit him one day when he said, you know what, if I can accept the fact that Julius Caesar lived, I never met him, I've never talked to him, but history says he existed. If I can believe the fact that he existed, why can I not believe the fact which is documented that Christ walked on this earth, that he lived and was here? He says, why can't I believe? And his whole world was turned around telling you, if we can believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Some people then ask the question, well, how could you serve a God that you don't know really where he came from? I mean, how can you, listen, they're getting the whole wrong picture here. Because the reason I can serve a God is because after coming into an experience with him, my life has been totally changed. And because of that change, I know the God in whom I serve. Isn't that what Peter said or Paul? He said, and I am persuaded that he is able. I'm persuaded through God because he is so great. So we've got to accept that. We've got to accept that. And have you ever thought about this? The Big Bang Theory. Have you ever seen an explosion put anything together? Hello? Have you ever seen an explosion put anything together? Explosions don't put things together. They blow things apart. So to take faith in the fact that an explosion created the world, it's absolute nonsense. It's absolute nonsense that evolution says that we evolved from a lump of snot. I mean, there's more generics in snot than what they say we evolved from. And you would just look at the human body and how intricate it is. No one's got your fingerprints. Come on, that is a, that's only a loving God that could put his stamp of approval upon your life. Just look at what it takes to hear the three little bones in your ear. Just the intricacy of everything set up and the vibrations that cause it. I mean, an explosion don't do nothing like that. That is the work of a creator. That is the work of a loving, gracious God. But yet people place faith in that more than they place faith in the fact that God has always been. Come on, say with me. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And we've got to accept that fact. It takes faith, yes, to believe that. But it's by faith that we're saved. So we've got to believe that. We've got to believe that. So let's look. You know, one definition of God is found in the Westminster Catechism. And it says these words. Listen to it. It says, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchanging in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness and truth. So the first thing that we're going to look at God is this, Genesis 1 verse 1. Let's go back there again and let's read it on. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator of all things. God is the creator of all things. Nothing more, nothing less just God. 
Evolution did not create us. An explosion did not create us. A loving Heavenly Father spoke and the world as we know it, well, let me rephrase that, not the world as we know it today because the world we see today is nothing compared to the world He created. The deterioration as a result of sin has been incredible, but God spoke and the world came into being. He is the creator of all things. God spoke and it was established. What a God. I mean, what a God. What an incredible God. If I even just get a snort out of God, that's a lot better than a million words from anyone else. Do I hear what you mean? He spoke. So we see God as the creator. Here's the second way we need to see God. We need to know that God is all-powerful. He is all-powerful or omnipotent, as the word means. All-powerful. He is omnipotent. One day he appears to Abraham and Sarah. And he says, Sarah, you're going to have a child. And the Bible says she was so old and, and she was unable. She was past the years of being able to have a child. And it was an impossible situation. And God says, you're going to have a child. The Bible says she laughed. God said, you're not only going to have a child, but we're going to call him laughter in your face. There you go. You're going to believe me. But look what God says to Abraham and Sarah when she doubts. He says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, you need to be reminded of that. God is omnipotent. There is nothing that he is unable to do. At the appointed time, I will return to you, he says to Sarah, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a child. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? That wasn't just for Abraham and Sarah. All those thousands of years ago, God is still omnipotent today. And you need to understand the fact that God is all-powerful. Jesus even said it in Mark 9, 23. He says it a different way, but I like it. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to you who believe. Meaning, God can do anything. Come on, say that with me. God can do anything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. The next thing we see of God, or let me say this before we go on, and that is this. Because He is all-powerful, He doesn't even have a close equal. There's not even a close second to God. He is in a realm all by... He's in a... I mean, He is so far beyond anything else. Anything else. That's why God, MC Hammer, stole it. But that was God's anthem. He says, can't touch this. Come on. That's what he told Satan. You can't touch this, brother. Come on. I am more powerful. I am all powerful. He is a God that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and to infinity and beyond. He is able to do it. Aren't you glad? I'm excited when I start finding out about what God is and understanding. And we need to know this. Here's another thing about God. God is all knowing. That means he's omniscient, omniscient. He's all knowing. Look what it says in Matthew 6 verse 8. For the Father God knows the things you have need of before you even ask him. Now that's knowledge. That's knowledge. 
And if only we would seek after a God that knows what we need for our lives instead of thinking we know what we need. If only we would understand that God knows best for our lives. That God's way is perfect and God's way is sure. If only we would want His way, but what do we do? We want our own way. The prodigal son, I want the money, I want to go out. I want to live it up, I want to do these things. If he'd have known what he ended up discovering, he wouldn't have never left. Come on, you and I need to trust in a God that's all-knowing. He holds our future. He knows those things. Look what it says in Psalms 147 verse 5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. Look, his understanding, what he knows, his knowledge, his wisdom, what is infinite. It's infinite. It has no limitations. It has no boundaries. God's knowledge is perfect. He does not have to reason or to find things out. He does not have to learn gradually. His knowledge of past, present and future is instantaneous. It's right there, right now. God is all-knowing. Let's look at the next part about God. God is everywhere unlimited by space. He is omnipresent. Omnipresent. God is everywhere present. Everywhere present. The psalmist writes this in Psalms 139, and I think this is a parallel many times to how we feel in our lives, that sometimes we feel in the extremes of life. But look what the psalmist records, even in the greatest extremes of life, notice what he says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. Figuratively speaking, if I go to the highest place, you're there. And then he goes on to say, if I make my bed in hell, if I go to the opposite extreme, the lowest place, behold, guess what? You're right there. If I take on the wings of the morning and I dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall, I love these words, hold me. Hold me. What does that mean? If you're in hell sometimes and feel there, guess what? God's holding you. When you're in your worst days and you feel that God's the furthest away from you, God promises to never leave you or never forsake you. He's right there with you. He's holding you. And at the same time, Alicia, you're being held by God. Susan, you're being held by God. Larry, you're being held by God. Come on, it's not like us when we hold our kids and we get so big and we can only, and they're falling off our laps and there's no more room. There's plenty of room in God for every one of his children. Come on, he holds you. He takes care of you. He's right there. And you know what? When I begin to think of that, an an omnipresent God, a God that's everywhere present, that's both awesome and scary. It's awesome in the fact, thank God he's there, but it's scary with the fact thinking he sees everything I do. He hears all the wrong words that I say. He sees me when I've got a bad attitude and don't do things right. He sees those things, but aren't you glad even though he sees them, he doesn't choose to leave? He's still in the boat with us. He's still in the boat with us. He's right there. You know, people like to say that Peter sank. The Bible didn't say he sank. The Bible said he began to sink. 
But God was close enough and when he cried out, guess what? God lifted him up. I'm glad that God is close enough that if we will cry out to him, he can lift us out of every circumstance and situations. Why? Because he's everywhere present at all times. And I've got to tell you this. You've got to be reminded that Satan is not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. And he's not what? He's not everywhere at once. He's not omnipresent, he's not omniscient or knowing, and he's not omnipresent. You've got to be reminded that Satan is a created being. There's times where you think he's everywhere. You, there's times when you think he knows exactly where you're going to be tomorrow at 2 o'clock because he's waiting for you right there. There's times when you think he's everywhere present at all times. But I'm telling you, the way he operates is he operates in deception. He wants to deceive us into thinking that he's got all that power. He hasn't got no power. He is created by God, and because he is created, he's a created being. In the beginning, God, no small print, and Satan. In the beginning, God. God then created Satan and the heavenly host, the angels. So he's a created being. So because he's created, it means two things. Number one, he has limits. And number two, he has constraints. God is in control of him. God is in control of him. Smith Wigglesworth, one of the greatest men of God in kind of in eras in the early 1900s or whenever it was he lived. I think it was early 1900s. Incredible man. One night he was tormented in his bed and he woke up and it's recorded that he saw the devil himself sitting on the end of his bed. And he looked at the devil square in the eyes and said, oh, it's only you and turned over and went straight back to sleep. I mean, incredible, incredible. But you know what else? If the devil was in his room, the devil was leaving someone else alone. Yes, he's got cohorts and he's got people that does his work for him, but Satan is not omnipresent and he's not all-knowing and he's not all-powerful. You need to be reminded of that. The God that you serve is. Come on, the God that you serve is. We already looked at this one, but I want to throw it out again, and that is this. God always was, always is, and always will be. I just want to remind you of that one again. In the beginning, God, God, God. Here's the next thing about God. God is holy. Psalms 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Do you notice that? The Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. The holiness of God means that He has absolute moral purity. That's what holiness means. He has absolute moral purity. He can neither sin nor can he tolerate sin. That means that God is incapable of ever doing wrong. In other words, what he says is what he's going to do. And you better be thankful for that. We serve a holy God. Yes, his demands, he's a holy God. But yet, if he says something, he's going to follow it through. Why? Because he is holy, holy, incapable of doing or saying anything wrong. That would preach for hours right there. That he is incapable of doing anything wrong. How many times have you thought, man, God, you did me wrong. He's a holy God. And I don't think there's ever been one time, I know there hasn't been one time that I questioned his holiness, that I haven't had to come back and say, God, now I see. I didn't see it at the moment. My Uncle Derek had to preach a funeral for a two-year-old little girl that fell into a swimming pool and drowned. I mean, that's a tough funeral to preach. 
But you know one thing we can tell people? God's a holy God. And that means this. He doesn't make any mistakes. And for whatever he does, we may not understand it right now, but one day we're going to see it all because he's a holy God. Here's something else about God. God is righteous. God is righteous. Genesis 18, verse 25. It goes on at the last part of that verse, and it says, Shall not the judge of the whole earth, God, shall he not do right? Shall he not do right? Now, if you've noticed, in in my Bible, there was a question mark at the end. But the question mark is not questioning God's righteousness. But it's it's really there because our ability, is our ability there to accept the fact that he's a righteous God? It's not a question of his righteousness, but it's a question of the fact that we'll accept that for our lives. So we'll be reminded of that. It's not... I think I'm going to do this. God says, I'm going to do this. I'm a righteous God. I'll judge all the other. I'm going to do right. And you know what righteousness? Righteousness really is holiness in action. It's putting his holiness into action. Righteousness is conforming to a right standard. In our case, God's standard. And it's a right conduct in relationship to other people. Because of his righteousness. Now, come on. We can act right and be right and do right. God will always do what's right. God will always do the right thing. We may not see it at times, but righteousness will prevail if we continue to trust Him. I don't know about you, but all I'm seeing in these kind of things that we're discussing today, I'm seeing about a God that wants to be there to help my life. I'm seeing a loving God. I'm not seeing the misconceptions that people have of an egotistical monster that wants to exert his power and authority to control and manipulate my life. I mean, he's got such love. Everything we've seen so far is to be there to help me. That's why we need to understand this. Come on, I've got to move on. Time is almost gone. Next one, God is faithful. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie. Thank God for that. He's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Why? Because he's holy and he's righteous. Has he not said it, so shall he not do it. Why? Because he's holy and he's righteous. Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? We serve a faithful God. There's a question mark at the end there, but again, it's not a question mark about his willingness or his ableness to do it. It's a question whether you and I will believe in a faithful God. We've got to trust in a faithful God. We've got to be reminded and understand God is faithful. He's right there with us and will never leave us and never forsake us. God is absolutely trustworthy. His words will not fail. Therefore, We as people may stand firm on His promises. We can build our life upon Him with confidence. Why? Because we serve a faithful God. There's no one else who's faithful like our God. What about this one? God is merciful. Psalms 103 verse 8, For the Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Man, if you want to get up and shout and holler and dance all over, that's probably a good verse to start on right there. 
that God is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in mercy. What He is compassionate towards us. He wants the best for us. Even when we choose the worst, God is still merciful. He wants the best for our lives. God is a God of another chance. He's a God of another opportunity. Not a second chance because we blew that a long time ago. He's the God of another chance because He is merciful. How many are glad you serve a merciful God? Full of mercy. Faithful in mercy. What about this one? God is love. Oh, Pastor P, I know that. Well, you need to know it again. You just need to know that. John 1, 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for what? God is love. I love that statement, God is love. Three incredible, incredible words. God is love. Listen to me. Love is not what he does. Love is who he is. It's not an action of God. It's his name. It's him. It's his being. He is a God of love. If you were physically able to do this and you were able to divide God into a million pieces, every part would have the equal amount of love. Every part would be completely love. Why? Because you cannot separate love and God because God is love. Love is God. God is love. Look at that next scripture. It says, 1 John 4, 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God. And God in him. I love that because of the love he has for me. If I accept that love and I abide in that love, his promise is that he now abides inside of me. If you haven't heard anything else today, be reminded that he holds you. And be reminded of this, that you are in him. You abide in him because of his love. His love knows no boundaries. His love knows no limitations. His love is able to conquer anything. His love is able to unlock the deepest and darkest heart. His love is so awesome. I don't deserve it, but yet he still freely gives it to me. I'm nearly done today. God is hope. God is hope. Romans 15:13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And believing that you may abound in the hope of the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace. Thank God for his hope that we can have joy and peace. Because you know what hope really is? Hope is a tomorrow. A lot of people feel hopeless. They don't see there's any future. There's no way out. But I'm glad that God is hope for my life. God is a tomorrow. Come on, he holds my tomorrow. He promises a tomorrow, but this is his promise. It may not be here on this earth. It may be with him in heaven. But he holds my tomorrow in his hands. I can trust in him. I can trust in the God of hope. One of my favorite verses on hope is Jeremiah 29, 11. That says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. For what? To give you a and a hope. To give you a future and a hope. Come on, Dale, you've got future and you've got hope. Is he in the house? He's not here. He's in the nursery, I think, helping my wife and them today. God is hope. It's a new day. When you feel like you can't make it anymore, you need to understand God is another day. God is hope for your life. It's never hopeless if you understand God. 
Here's another one. God is a giver of every good and perfect gift. James 1.17, every good and every perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Why does he not change? Because he's a faithful, holy God. Okay? He's a righteous God. But notice what it says, every good and every perfect gift. God doesn't give us sickness and disease and pain and suffering. God doesn't send that to the world. We know who the author of those things is. It's Satan. He's the one that torments the world. He's the one that brings all the pain and the agony. But you've got to be reminded of this, and that is this. God allows it to happen. God allows it. And we can say, well, hold on a second. If God really loves us, why does he allow those things? The result is sin. It's a result of sin. It's the decay that sin has brought. It's the attachment that sin brings with it. And because of man's rebellion to sin, we have brought these things upon mankind, what God never intended. Man was never even supposed to die a natural death. God created man to live eternally. But yet because of sin, our natural body decays and Miss D was giving me a hard time. She said, Pastor P, what's that on the side of your house? I said, Miss D, that's gray hair. But you know what? My thinking is this, God, and hear me, please. If you ever hear a prayer, hear this one. God, turn it any color you want. Just don't turn it loose. (laughs) But you know what? Because of sin. And people have said this, and I'm not going to stay here long, but people have said this. If God loves us so much, why doesn't he stop it? Can I tell you why God doesn't stop it? Because he loves you that much. And you may say, well, that's kind of crazy. No, listen. He loves you this much that he gave you a choice. He could have forced himself upon you, but he chose not to. Isn't that love? To give those that you want to embrace, but you want it to be real, there's a choice. That really is true love. When people say, oh, if God's such a God of love, he could stop all this. No, it's because of his love, it's going on. Why? Because man has made the choice to rebel against God and not accept God. But if we would choose to come back to him as a nation, as a world, I'm telling you, these things would not be present. And even if they are present now, we're going to a heaven one day where there'll be no sickness, there'll be no pain. God's going to reinstate those things in our lives. God never intended for man to be separated from him. Sin did that. Come on, I've got to move on. Say, hurry up, pastor. Okay, God is always with you. I love that. I've got to be reminded of that. Hebrews 13, 5. For he himself has said, no one else said, God himself said, I like that, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He promises to always be there, but we always, but here's the question, will we always turn to him in our time of need? Well, I don't think God's there. God left me. No, he's right there. We just turned away from him. We just need to turn back to God. He's always present. How do we know that? Because he's omnipresent. He's always present. Listen to this. He's always present, but not always active. God can be passive in your situation until you invite him into it. He's always present, but he may not always be active. Can he be active? Can he do? Oh, my God can do everything. Why? Because he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. There's nothing he can't do. And remember, he's in our boat. We've just got to what? Realize that and cry out to him. What a promise of God. One who runs the whole world. Yet he always is with you. 
the one who runs the universe, but yet his promises, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Man, I love that. Just two more. God will never change. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Malachi 3, 6 says, I am the Lord, I do not change, or I changeth not. God is, an un- is unchanging and constant. He doesn't need to change. Why doesn't God change? He doesn't need to change. You can't perfect perfection. I mean, how can you perfect the perfection of God, the awesomeness of God? I mean, you can't make a greater God and a better God. I mean, he's the best there is. He's the greatest there is. He cannot increase in anything because he's already perfect, nor can he decrease. For if he did decrease just one degree, guess what? He would cease from being God. You've got to understand that. God will never change. God will never change. And the last thing is God, God is spirit. God is spirit. Now, our minds can go crazy there and go, woo, he's like this floating little ghost, like Casper the ghost, and he's floating around. He's spirit. Watch how you perceive that. Because let me tell you what Jesus said in John 4, verse 24. He says, God is a spirit or a spirit being, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. When it says God is spirit, it means this. He's not a physical being limited to one place. Yes, he has a personality. Yes, God thinks. Yes, he feels. Yes, he speaks. And therefore, he can have communication, direct communication with his creatures that are made, us who are made in his image. But as a spirit, he is not subject to limitations. He's a real person, but of such infinite nature, he cannot be fully apprehended by our minds, nor can he be adequately described by human language. When we see God as a spirit, it's not airy-fairy and all these things. It just means he is so awesome and so great, we can't comprehend his greatness. He's not limited by flesh and bones like we are. He's limitless. In other words, he's all that and more. God is all that and so much more. God is more able to be anything and everything that you need. And here's the best part. He wants to be that for you. Don't you love that? He wants to be omnipresent. He wants to be omniscient. He wants to be, oh no, he wants to be holy. He wants to be righteous. He wants to be loved. He wants, because that's who he is. And why is he that way? Because he knows that every one of us needs that, needs that. We've told you today who God is, but the real question is this. Who is he to you? Who is God to you? Who is God to you? And I'm telling you, where you need to start is here. He needs to be your saviour and Lord. Because that has to be the beginning part. In the beginning, God. The beginning of your life starts when you accept the fact that God is God. That he's the only one that can save you and change your life. Just like the Bible starts within the beginning, God, our lives don't start till we have that faith relationship that we can say in the beginning, God, be God in my life. Be the God. Come on. Next Sunday, we're going to look at his plan for mankind. We're going to look at how mankind rebelled and fell against God. And we're going to look at the effect that it's had. But today, we looked at the awesomeness and the greatness of God. And we need to have an understanding of that. If not, Satan's going to come in and rob from us, steal from us, and take from us. But God is awesome. Would you stand to your feet with me?
Thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.